complicated. <laughs> I don't even know how to get out. All right, well, good morning. Masks or no, it's really good to be here. I am much preferring to be here with you guys doing this, struggling with my mask. There we go. Wow, this was an unforeseen problem. <laughs> All right, realities of COVID. Oh my goodness. Literally, it is really good to be here with you guys here in person. And also, uh, we have a lot of folks joining us online. So welcome. Welcome to Greenbelt Church. Listen, I'm going to start this morning with a um, question. And I want to start with our online folks here. So, and you don't have to write your position in the chat, but hear me out. Are you enjoying church this morning? Do you enjoy coming to church online? How do you feel about it? Some of you are like doing the little clappy hands right now, thumbs up, hearts. But really, for some of you, this feels not so comfortable. So here's the options, okay? Option A, uh, you feel like this is exciting, risky, like it's the best thing about your whole week and you can't wait to connect even if it's online. Option B, uh, scary risky, like you like connecting online, but you're just concerned that it could get a little weird, like online dating gone awry or something, okay? Or option B, you're not sure yet. For you guys here in person, how is this feeling? It's maybe really exciting, maybe really uncomfortable. I'll do the same options, okay? Option A, super exciting, risky, like this is the best thing about your week and you love getting to talk to people in person. Yeah? Okay. That corner. <laughs> Option B, is it scary risky? Like you're like two meter bubbles. Don't anybody get inside my two meter bubble. Anybody feeling that? You don't have to say it out loud. But I know, I know some of us are feeling that. Option C, undecided, not sure yet. You're just waiting to see how it goes. All of these are totally legitimate ways to be feeling right now, right? I mean, how about life group? Who's feeling the tension of starting life groups? Some of you guys have not met the people in your life groups. And it's a little concerning. Are we sure that we want to let these people into our lives? Again, totally legitimate. But we're all taking risks to be connected for church right now. True? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys are alive. You're allowed to say something in return. We don't have to stay silent. So we are prone to a sense of self-protection whenever we're in connection with other people. We're prone to anxiety, fear, stress about whether it's worth it to interact with each other. Connection does make us feel vulnerable, doesn't it? Just being present here in the room makes us feel a little bit vulnerable. So why are we taking these risks? Is it worth it? You don't have to answer that yet. Here we are in week two of our new ministry year here at Greenbelt Church. This is week two of live stream happening at the same time as in-person church. Ten billion points to Pastor Paul, to our deacons and our volunteers who made this happen. Can you guys give them applause for this? Like it's a big deal. It is a really big deal. And we love, love, love the effects of it right now that we're able to do this as a community online and in person. Is it worth it for them to have gone through all of this trouble to connect us? They went through a lot of trouble. 
So the word that we use for connecting as Christian community is fellowship. Fellowship. Our current sermon series, Church on the Go, uh, we're considering going, getting out there in the community, but fellowship kind of seems like the opposite, doesn't it? It's like, how does connecting with each other get us on the go? We're going to look today at when Christian fellowship started in earnest. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 42. It's the fifth book of the New Testament, right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you go to Romans, you've gone too far, flip back to the left a bit, scroll back up on your phone. Acts chapter 2. So we're going to look at why it's worth it, why it was worth it back then to start this fellowship thing. So for you, if you're thinking, I am at my max for risk to do this connection thing, this fellowship thing, today is for you, okay? Why is it worth it to take these risks that we're taking to be in fellowship, whatever the risk is for you? And I'm not talking a legal risk. I'm talking legal, legal risks, just the things that make us personally uncomfortable to connect, whether it's in person or online. So as we read today's passage, here's the big idea that I want you to get out of it. Fellowship is worth the risks to save the lost. Fellowship is worth the risks to save the lost. It is worth it. Can you guys say that with me? It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. it. Yeah. Okay, but listen, if we're not convinced yet, let's go there, okay? Um, We're going to look at three things. The cause of fellowship the experience of fellowship, and the effects of fellowship. It's going to be worth it to be in fellowship. You ready? I heard you. Okay, number one, let's start with a cause of fellowship. I'll spend more time on this so that we remember where we're coming from so that where we're going makes sense, okay? So I want to tell you a crazy story. Kevin got to tell part of it last week as he was looking at Acts chapter uh, 1 and 2. So I have to tell it to you again because it's so good. So get this, 50 days before today's passage, 50 days before Jesus dies and rises again, and then he freaks out hundreds of his followers by showing up to them alive. And then he starts the biggest scandal in all of history that uh, an innocent man who was condemned to death out of hatred and fear escapes his death sentence after he dies. And then he explains to his followers how all of those super sacred ancient Jewish prophecies are all fulfilled in him because he is God. And his followers are like, I think we're starting to get that. (laughs) Like there's something really big going on. And so 10 days before today's passage, Jesus tells his followers, go make more people into my followers. Teach them to obey everything I taught you and baptize them in the authority of God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says, but don't start doing all that teaching and baptizing until the Holy Spirit has come and made that authority real in you. And then Jesus rises up and disappears in the sky. And they're all like, I guess we go wait for something. We don't know what. 
I mean, it's a crazy story, right? Like, it, it only gets better, so let's just keep going. Jesus' followers go back to the city of Jerusalem, where Jesus had died and risen again, and where they're in the biggest danger of being recognized as those people who follow the guy who rose from the dead. Like, I mean, even for us, we shouldn't believe that he died and rose again unless it's true and it has a really good reason. They're taking a big risk to go back to Jerusalem. So Jesus' followers spend 10 days praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to do something. We don't know what yet. So the day of our current passage starts at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Jesus' disciples are in a pre-915 early morning worship service. And around 9 a.m. there comes a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And tongues of fire come and rest on every single one of the 120 heads in the room. And they start worshiping God in languages that they don't naturally know. And they don't stop shocked at the weirdness of like, whoa, man, what are we doing? They actually press into it and they get loud. And they make such a noise that the people outside are like, whoa, that's some early morning drunken party in there. And Peter goes out and he's like, no, 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 let me explain. And then he gives the most eloquent speech that he's ever given as a rough and tumble fisherman. And he reasons so eloquently with the crowd that the Jesus that they killed 50 days earlier is actually God and their Messiah. This is the one, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, for thousands of years. They wanted this guy, this Messiah, to come and solve all of their problems. They had really high expectations. So if Peter's trying to convince them of this, you can imagine they're like, oh, you've got a lot of explaining to do. But the crowd doesn't even comment on how eloquent or convincing Peter's speech is. They're just suddenly so aware of this sin. He accused them, Peter accuses them of having killed the Messiah. And they feel cut to the heart and they cry out to peter okay what shall we do we need out of this and peter says repent and let us who are having this totally weird holy spirit experience here be the ones to baptize you and if that's not a risk enough you get to receive the same holy spirit who's causing all this commotion in the house okay does this sound a little risky or what yeah huge risk on a human level peter is inviting them to take two risks of submitting to jesus in repentance the jesus that they killed who but who but but who escaped their death sentence major risk submitting to jesus in repentance risk number two peter invites them to submit themselves in baptism to this group of crazy sounding people singing at the top of their voices in languages that they don't naturally know so this is major risk on a human level and so guess how many people take the risk one or two five or ten really crazy people over three thousand three thousand people why would they do that i mean remember what they felt when peter was preaching cut to the heart so who does the cutting 
Remember the God who causes the sound of a mighty rushing wind to blow through the house and who sends tongues of fire to rest on everybody's heads and who caused people to worship in languages that they don't naturally know. That guy, that guy goes through Peter and outward into 3,000 people. And God does something that all 120 of those people could never naturally do by themselves. God does it while those 120 people are doing what they can do, and that's fellowship in person connected to each other. I don't mean in person like this in person. I mean just that connection to people. Suddenly that little congregation of 120 people explodes to 3,120 approximately. Why do 3,120 people start fellowshipping together? It's God's supernatural work. It's not something that they start up because it's a good idea. He causes, God causes 3,000 people who were naturally enemies of Jesus to submit to Jesus in baptism, submit to each other, sorry, to submit to Jesus in repentance, submit to each other in baptism, and then submit to the Holy Spirit to let him come work inside. God supernaturally overcomes these risks. Now, most English translations, say about 3,000 people were added to their number or about 3,000. The Greek actually says about 3,000 souls were added to their number. This is worth catching because it implies that the Holy Spirit affected not just the minds of the people so that, you know, oh yeah, believing in Jesus makes sense. It actually implies that the Holy Spirit affects their souls, the thoughts their emotions, and their desires. All of that stuff about the inner person affected by the Holy Spirit. And then he kickstarts a major makeover in the inner person of 3,000 people in a matter of hours. This is not stuff we can naturally do, right? And then in baptism, these people literally jump in with both physical feet to commit themselves to Jesus with their whole selves, not just their inner selves, but their whole selves dedicated to what God has just done in them supernaturally. So I'm going to talk um, to the camera here, but if you feel the Holy Spirit affecting you, are you ready for the Holy Spirit to supernaturally kickstart a makeover of your inner self? You can tell God, I've screwed up. I realize that I've sinned and I can't even stop myself from sinning. And so you tell God, God, save me. Please use Jesus' death to pay for my sin. I'm ready to accept that and forgive me. And then, yes, please send that Holy Spirit to be inside of me, working on the inside. I want to be changed on the inside. When you're willing to do that, you're taking a major risk. This is a major risk. And if you're willing to take that risk, then you go to the next step, not just the inside, but on the outside as well. You step in both physical feet into the water and be baptized in order to let the outside reflect what is 
happening on the inside, what God is doing. If you want to be baptized, you email Kevin, Kevin at greenbelt.church. Kevin at greenbelt.church. If this is the first time that you're considering taking that risk of submitting to Jesus, there's a, online, there's a little pop-up that says, I commit my life to Jesus. You click on that and then start that supernatural journey by connecting to us. Get your info in there so that we can connect to you and actually be part of what I'm going to keep talking about here. When you've gone through that initial repentance, when you've experienced God changing you on the inside, when you've gone through baptism, that's when you know, I expect the Holy Spirit to be working on the inside. What the Holy Spirit is doing here in the house with everybody speaking in tongues and with people on the outside repenting en masse, that's what we expect actually the Holy Spirit to do is continual work inside us. So expect him, expect him to be part of what is happening inside. Okay, so we got it. The cause of fellowship is God's supernatural work. The cause of fellowship is God's supernatural work to overcome the risks. To overcome the risks that you have to take in order to submit to him initially. Repentance, baptism, Holy Spirit working inside. So now look around at each other. For you folks online, look around at the names going through the chat there. Do you realize that there are those in our midst who have taken these risks to submit to Jesus in repentance, to submit to each other in baptism, and to submit to the Holy Spirit working on the inside? Guys, this is you. This is you. This is you guys online. You're here because God has supernaturally overcome risks for people to be connected here. I mean, to me, this is kind of a cool reason to actually be connected. It makes me want to risk a few things to hang out with a bunch of people who've experienced God supernaturally working in their lives. Just saying. So this word that we use, fellowship, in Greek, it's koinonia. Koinonia, it means close association involving mutual interest and sharing. The first thing that we were mutually interested in was the good news of Jesus. The first thing that we shared was this supernatural experience of the Holy Spirit overcoming the risks for us to repent, be baptized, and then receive the Holy Spirit to keep working on the inside. So our first point, cause of fellowship is God's supernatural work to overcome the risks. Our next point, the experience of fellowship. This continued experience of mutual interest and sharing. So let's actually read our passage today. You're at Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So verse 42, um, I'm using a NIV version. Uh, whatever version you're using, totally okay, all right? You've got version going. It's an app that you can download and just get reading any version of the English Bible right now that you can. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. There's a grammatical detail in here that I just want to clear up first to sort out what is fellowship, because it sounds like there's four separate things in here. Apostles teaching fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. 
But in the original Greek language that this was written in, the last two, the breaking of bread and prayer, are actually just like highlights of fellowship. Fellowship includes this breaking of bread and prayer. So breaking bread, when these 3,120 followers of Jesus get together, they break bread, they eat together. It's just a normal meal. It involves bread and wine. But now it's got a whole new meaning. That bread and wine that they're eating just as part of natural getting together, it's part of remembering Jesus' death. The fact that he supernaturally paid for sin on, on the cross. So what they're doing when they eat now is remembering, whoa, God worked supernaturally for us to get together here. And then they pray together. That is, they ask God, hey, God, can you do more of that supernatural work? So whenever they fellowship, it's actually so focused on God working, not what they can naturally accomplish by themselves. And then verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. This is cool. When we translate everyone was filled with awe, literally in the Greek, it's fear came upon every soul. I don't think we're feeling that right now, but just enter into what they're experiencing here. They're seeing signs and wonders. They're not used to seeing this. They're feeling this fear. Now, let's, let's figure out what this fear is because, I mean, we talked earlier about that stress and anxiety, fear that can be involved in connecting to each other. Okay, this fear that they're feeling is not that fear. 3,120 people get together. We kind of expect they don't get along perfectly. They don't all naturally like each other. They don't all just want to dive into community because of some, I don't know, common interest in, I don't know, ultimate Frisbee or something. There's something going on here that has to get them put together as a massive group. So they're not going to agree on politics. Maybe they're not going to all agree on their parenting uh, methods. They're not all going to agree on vaccine policies that's us. That's not them. But you get the point, right? Like they don't naturally agree on everything. 3,120 people. They're feeling this fear, but it's not the fear of how to interact with each other. This fear is the fear of God. The fear of God. This is not the being overwhelmed and paralyzed by something bad. In the Old Testament, there's a poem that we read in Psalm 19, and it says that the fear of God is clean. That's what they're feeling. Clean. Fear of God. And this clean fear of God is the total opposite of paralyzing. This fear of God propels 3,120 people into supernatural action. So read the next verse. Verses 44. And let's do both. 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Okay, this is supernatural action because naturally what we will do is say, um, if I give something away, I may not have enough. So I don't, I don't want to let go of what I have. It takes the Holy Spirit to move us to take the risk of generosity like that. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Verses 46 and 47. 
What else are they doing? Every day, every day, they're worshiping and they're spending time together with glad and sincere hearts. This could be translated more literally as with gladness and simplicity of heart. Sounds like frolicking in a field or something. I mean, compare that for the potential of the opposite, though, right? The opposite would be with complexity and distrust and discontent and complaint. I don't want to be a part of that. But gladness and simplicity of heart, it's welcoming. It's so easy to just walk in and be like, hey, I like being here. So if it's anything that we've noticed so far is that fellowship isn't a passive lackadaisical thing. In verse 42, we read that they're devoted. They're devoted to this connection in fellowship. You know, one of the things that I've devoted myself to my entire life since the day I was born, true story, when I'm thirsty, I want something to drink. My mom says I could cry when I was a baby. I'm devoted to getting something to fill my thirst or hunger. If I get passive now about quenching my thirst, I will get dehydrated and miserable. You don't want me to get passive about quenching my thirst. So you know what these people are feeling in this passage? They're feeling thirsty. It's like they just got a taste of the most thirst-quenching drink in existence. And they're like, whoa, where does that come from? Uh, I got to have some more of that. And fellowship is the place to get it. Fellowship. Have you had a taste of Jesus doing something or seeing Jesus do something and wanting more? We're risking to be in fellowship in order to see that happen. In verse 43, we read that many signs and wonders were being performed. I mean, that'll quench thirst. That's super exciting. Anybody thirsty to see God work like that? Yes. Amen. Me too. Listen, signs and wonders were happening because the apostles were obeying the command that Jesus had given them. There's one version of it in Matthew 10 where he says, go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. The disciples, the apostles had been primarily devoted to following Jesus for three years. They'd been in fellowship, close connection with him for three years, learning how to do this. And then in the Great Commission, before he went back up to heaven, he said, now go teach my new followers to do everything that I commanded you. So guess what they're going to teach? How to heal the sick raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. If that doesn't raise the bar just a bit, I want to be in fellowship with you guys to learn how to do that. Because I know some people who need healing. I've been one of those people. I am thirsty to see God do this. Any more yes other than Paul? (laughs) Yes, a few of us. Listen, guys. Stick it out. Stick it out in fellowship. This is worth it. So the experience of fellowship, the experience of fellowship is God's supernatural work. 
if our connection to each other is not supernatural, all we've got is some natural friendships with some people that we're naturally drawn to just like the rest of the world. I think we want more than that, yeah? Yes. So we've looked at the cause of fellowship being God's supernatural work, the experience of fellowship being God's supernatural work. What do you expect the effects of fellowship to be? Yeah, God's supernatural work. Okay, so let's look at the effects. The experience of fellowship is not the reason. The experience is not the reason we fellowship. It's the means to an end. So fellowship is not about me benefiting. It's about the effect. If all I ever do is fellowship in order to be taken care of, to benefit from what you guys are doing, from teaching and generosity and signs and wonders. I'm the reason why I'm in fellowship. And if I stop getting the teaching that I want, if I stop receiving your generosity, if I stop seeing signs and wonders that make me feel good, I lose my impetus to be in fellowship. Because I was risking things just to get the benefit. So I've been there, okay? I'm saying this because I've been there. Let me tell you a story. I was super frustrated about something at church. And I went to a prayer meeting where I could not even bless the people that I was praying with. As in, like, I couldn't pray for them because I was so frustrated. They just stood for everything that I was frustrated about. And and I couldn't even open my mouth to pray. And so what I did, I literally put my head, my face down on the floor and I cried. I was trying to stay quiet. I just, I, I couldn't do anything. I was paralyzed. I had all this bitterness and anger on one side of my heart. But on the other, there was this voice turning 1 Corinthians 13 over and over. Love is patient. I don't want to be patient. Love is kind. I don't want to be kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. But I want to keep my record of wrongs. I've got a really good record. (laughs) And I silently prayed, God, how can I ever be in fellowship with these people? I think I'm ready to leave. I just want to walk away. Well, they noticed that I had my head down on the floor. Hey, Jazz, you okay? No, I'm not okay. And they said, hey, can we pray for you? Okay, I guess so. Um, They let me explain to them what was just warring in my heart. And then their prayer was just blessing. God bless her. They didn't correct me like, God, please make her see our point of view so that we can all be unified in the way that we think. They didn't even do that. They just blessed me. And my heart just softened. And I was like, I think think I'm willing to be in fellowship with these people. And we didn't even solve the disagreement. There was just a sense of, I can still love you, and you can still love me, and we don't have to agree. The purpose about that fellowship is not me. It's about making space for God to do his work. So look at the end of verse 47. There are two effects that we see there. This congregation, number one, enjoyed the favor of all the people. 
people outside the congregation are enjoying all that generosity and signs and wonders. And what's the point of that favor? To receive permission to share the message of the good news about Jesus. This congregation is suddenly given permission in their community to be a church on the go. Do you get it? They receive favor from what God was doing in their midst, and the community just opens the doors. Hey, we like what you're doing here. And suddenly they can proclaim the good news of Jesus just because God made the way. The favor opens the doors. And then the other effect in verse uh, 47 there is the Lord added daily to their number those who, who were being saved. 120 people, 3,120 people. They can't do that. They cannot make people just show up daily to add to their number. God has to do that. The effect of fellowship is... God's supernatural work. I heard it. God's supernatural work. The whole thing is about God working. So remember, we wanted to see how fellowship is worth the risks. And we realized that fellowship is worth the risks to save the lost. There was good stuff from the cause. There was good stuff in the experience, but the effect, that's where we're going. Fellowship is like building a runway, everybody doing their part, building the runway so that God can come land planes on it. You willing to have God land a few planes here? Yeah, I want to see God do that. The runway is not about us. It's about what God is going to do on it. Okay, so listen. What would it look like? Just think for a minute. Imagine what it would look like for God to have this kind of effect in our Sunday service. Who wants that kind of effect? God landing planes in our service. Kids zone fellowship. Who wants that kind of effect in our kids zone fellowship? Youth. I know some of the youth are sitting here today from fusion. Who wants to see God have that kind of effect in our, in our youth fellowship? Yeah. Who wants our life groups to have this kind of effect? awkwardness and everything yes yes okay so is it worth it is it worth it to to risk a few things two meter bubbles masks on zoom calls following ever-changing government guidelines is it worth it yeah it's totally worth it okay so listen whatever details need changing to build a runway whatever that looks like during COVID, like there's so many things involved in that, but simplicity of heart. Okay. We're focused on the mission. We're going to throw out that passivity and hopelessness and get connected. There's such purpose in us doing this here at Greenbelt. We have a vision of reaching 10,000 people with the good news of Jesus. God's got to do supernatural work to make that happen. We can't do it ourselves, but we're going to build the runway through our fellowship. Okay. Is it worth the risk? Yeah. Okay. We did this earlier. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. Can you guys say that with me? It's so worth it. It's so worth it. Oh my goodness. You guys are already here and we're already building the runway. So obviously today's message didn't detail out everything that we need to do. This passage that we read didn't detail everything that we need to do. It just gave us the impetus to start. Okay. This is the beginning of our ministry year. We're starting. If you're not signed up for a life group, you start 
And then what we're going to learn going forward in Acts is that we continue to see God showing how to build that runway in fellowship. He's landing planes on it. And then it becomes a runway to launch people out into the world. How's that, eh? It's worth it. It is so worth it. We're going somewhere. Okay, so I'm going to ask God in prayer right now to work supernaturally through our fellowship here at Greenbelt. And then we're going to watch a short video before uh, we worship again. And in this video, our associate pastor of outreach and evangelism, Danielle Presso, she's our online host this morning as well. She shares a really brief summary of her experience of God working through fellowship. And you'll hear her use this word vulnerability several times. She's talking about the risk of connection in fellowship being so worth it because God worked in her life. And you'll see passages of the Bible come up that illustrate that vulnerability and cry out to God, God, overcome the risks for me. So the point of this video is just to raise the expectations for God to do more here than we can ask or imagine according to his power at work. That's passage from Ephesians. For the sake of those who don't know Jesus yet. Is it worth it? Yeah. Okay. Let me pray as the tech team cues up the video. Just bow your heads with me. God, how could we ask for anything less than you adding to our number daily, those who you are saving? We ask for that, Father, because you can do it, and you can figure out what it takes in our midst for that to happen. God, we welcome you to work supernaturally at Greenbelt. Overcome the risks for us in order to be in fellowship and build this runway for your glory, Father. And then, Father, prepare us for launching off of that runway. We don't have it figured out, so God, you're going to be the one who does that for us, and we welcome it in Jesus' name. Amen. was pretty messy, I guess, would be a good way to put it. I wanted to have it all together, but looking back, there were so many things that were, were broken. I took a period of time where I really just kind of backed off from getting too deep with God. It's very similar, actually, when I think about my upbringing and how when things get too vulnerable, I want to back away from that and withdraw from that. I kept a distance for a while, but I felt parched. I got so low, I would say, um, where my emotions were not just on my sleeve, they were all over my face. It was hard to sort of have an interaction with me without you, without anybody kind of going like, 
She can't have allergies all the time, can she? <laughs> so during that time, I actually learned to be comfortable in vulnerability and as well with God. In like my, my lowest point is actually my highest point in terms of closeness with the Lord. This was my letting go of my vulnerability and allowing people and allowing God to minister to me and to love me. I began to recognize that if all I had was the Lord, I had enough. It's worth it to continue uh, the journey with God because there is healing and there is freedom, and there is victory. God can fix anything. My encouragement for other people who have kind of messy lives and background uh, that's just bubbling up that they can barely even hide it um, is to never let go of God. Mm.